This is a Federal News Network podcast. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has started releasing a series of data sheets for the public. They show the delineations of wetlands, a crucial piece of information in land and resource management. Here with details about the program, research soil scientist Jacob Berkowitz. Mr. Berkowitz, good to have you on. Thank you for having me, Tom. I'm happy to get the word out there about what's really a good news story for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the American public. All right. So these data sheets that you are releasing, tell us what they depict and who they're intended to be received by. Yes. So the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, as part of our mission, is administration of the Clean Water Act. And under that responsibility, the Corps of Engineers reviews and makes permit decisions regarding over 70,000 proposed actions across the nation every year. And the vast majority of those actions require completion of a wetland delineation. As part of that delineation, the public or private sector practitioners collect data about soils, hydrology, and vegetation to determine the presence of wetlands and the extent of those wetlands on the landscape. And so we've developed a tool, uh, automated data form, that expedite that process, increasing efficiency and accuracy for those 70,000 determinations every year. In other words, there are people out there that are trying to find this out already for purposes of projects, for example, and so they have measurements. I mean, what are some of the measurements you take? I mean, you can see a stream going by or the shore of a lake, but it sounds like there's more to determining what's a wetland than simply visual. Yes, sir. Yes, there are specific characteristics that dictate the distribution of vegetation species that change the way the soil looks and that provide evidence that wetland hydrology is present. That's how we delineate wetlands, is we look at those three factors. Now, the automated data sheets help to expedite that process by essentially automating the data collection and reporting process. And so that allows the Corps of Engineers to review permits faster and to get those permits out to the American public so they can move forward with building their projects as expediently as possible. Well, give us a sample, an example of the type of project that might require knowing this and being able to get a determination from the Army Corps that might want to go in place somewhere. Yes, so the Corps of Engineers permits are required for any activities that result in the placement of fill within waters of the United States, including wetlands. So, for example, if a developer wanted to uh, expand the footprint of a neighborhood and there was a possibility that that would have uh, implications for wetlands or other aquatic resources, they'd be required to complete these wetland delineation activities in order to receive a permit and move forward with that project. And, Tom, the take-home message is that because there are so many of these actions that occur every year, anything that we can do to make those actions more expedient and, importantly, more accurate helps the American public build the projects that they need to build while ensuring that the Corps of Engineers are completing our mission and protecting natural resources. So it sounds like you're trying to create a more objective reference for everybody as to where the wetlands begin and end? This certainly helps to accomplish that. Yes, it does. The automation that we've included with these data sheets really does help the public and private sector practitioners provide accurate information to the Corps of Engineers. And when we receive more accurate information, then we can turn those permits around more expeditiously to get the public what they need in terms of building these types of projects. We're speaking with Jacob Berkowitz. He's a research soil scientist in the environmental lab at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And you're speaking with us out of Vicksburg, Mississippi. And you collaborated with one of the other offices in developing this capability? 
That is correct, sir. Yes, the gentleman named Nathan Schultz, who works for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Detroit District, was instrumental in developing some of the coding that lies beneath the automated data sheet. So his work in particular really allowed us to develop a technology that had been elusive for a number of years in terms of doing the type of calculations that are required in these wetland delineation scenarios. And what is the source of the measurements? That is to say, is the automation in the creation of the data sheets, or are there sensors throughout the country that are generating data all the time? How does that work? So this data is generated by folks who actually go out on site to a project site and complete evaluation. Historically, that was done on hard paper forms, and those paper forms had to be translated into an electronic format and then submitted to the core for review. With the new automated data forms, what we're hearing from the public as well as the private sector practitioners is that they're able to complete those forms more quickly and more accurately, expediting the entire wetland delineation review process. Well, are there specific instruments, for example, to test the hydrology of a soil zone that you stick in the ground and then what happens? It measures something, and then how does that data get transmitted? We do use things like automated water table monitoring wells. We also have things like chemical dyes that we can use in the soil. But in a typical context, Tom, it's really just measurements of what plant community is there, what soil morphologies are we observing, and what signs of wetland hydrology can we physically see on the ground. So this isn't a uh, highly technical approach because we do need it to be expedient. But we have found these methods over the years through a variety of research to be extremely reliable when appropriately applied. So these are observations generally then, visual observations that are then recorded in some manner. That is correct. In a typical case, we collect these observations and the automated data forms really help us to ensure the accuracy of that information and ultimately to expedite getting that information to the core in the appropriate fashion so that they can issue the permit and get them done. And just to give you an idea of the timelines associated with this, our goal is to try and get these permits turned around within 60 days. And for the general permits, we're hitting that target more than 90% of the time. But if we can further expedite that process and get that number closer to 100%, that's a benefit for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and it's a benefit for the American public. And what happens when there's a dispute? For example, suppose there's a certain bush or shrub that is growing that indicates a wetland, and the party that's the applicant can say, well, we also have this bush growing on dry ground that's not wetlands, so how do we know it's really wetlands? This kind of question, does that come up? Yes, Tom, that certainly comes up, and we have a very robust program where we try and work with the applicants to get to the right technical answer to make sure that we're in compliance with the regulations while also serving the public to the best of our ability. But there is a formal dispute resolution process that people can go through if there's a disagreement about where those wetlands lie. And do you get a lot of cases of third parties trying to stop a development process because everybody has NIMBY in their lexicon? Certainly, you know, public access and public comment periods are a part of the permit process. And we welcome that feedback from the public to hear what they think about projects so that we can make sure that we are administrating our responsibility under the Clean Water Act in efficient and responsible and expedient way. Now, once these automatic data sheets are determined for a given project, do they have any usefulness beyond that? Yes, they do. I mean, Tom, we're researchers here who develop these types of materials. And so 
we've used these automated data sheets extensively to conduct research across the country to help us get a better understanding of where wetlands are on the landscape, how those wetlands are changing over time, and what to expect to our natural resources, including wetlands, as we look forward to the challenges uh, ahead of us, including the challenge of sea level rise and climate change. All right. Jacob Berkowitz is a research soil scientist in the Environmental Lab at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. It's my pleasure to share this good news story with you and the public. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career. He took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village. That was, I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, at, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that 
that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do, where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That's, that was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney, but, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called Labor and Employee Relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, You know, from historical to current, uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola.
It's in our nature. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's Sentence Clarity Rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts.